Welcome everyone. This is the Calabasas City Council meeting of February 26, 2014. Thank you for being here. I am Mayor Fred Gaines and uh, all council members are here tonight including Mayor Pro Tem David Shapiro and council members Lucy Martin, James Bazajan and Mary Sue Maurer. Uh, we did have a closed session meeting before uh, this meeting, I'm going to ask the city attorney to make a report on the closed session meeting. Yes, Mr. Mayor, members of the council, the council provided direction to the city manager to uh, negotiate the acquisition of the property listed on the agenda and provided a direction to do so consistent with conditions uh, that the city manager outlined in closed session. There's nothing further to report out. Thank you very much. Uh, we will uh, start our meeting with the Pledge of Allegiance led by Cub Scout Pack. 333 of Calabasas. Welcome and uh, please lead us in the pledge. Everyone please rise. Color guard advance. Everyone in uniform salute. Everyone not in uniform put your hand over your heart. Please begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Color Guard, post the colors. Color Guard salute. Two. Everyone may sit. Thank you very much to our Cub Scout Pack 333. And uh, we will move on with approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? So. Was it moved in motion by, uh, yes, moved and second. Moved and second, any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 The agenda is approved. Um, announcements and introductions, and we'll start with uh, Councilman Bazajan. First of all, I want to thank the small but um, dedicated crowd that showed up uh, for the creek cleanup event on February 22nd. Um, they're, I'm happy to report the creeks are not as uh, trash filled as they have been in previous years, but we, there were still plenty out there. And uh, I encourage residents to please um, consider coming out to the next one. You know, we, we used to have quite a few people come out and there are fewer uh, over time. Uh, March 13th, we have an anticoagulant and rodenticides um, uh, workshop and it's you're going to learn how to protect your pet and protect wildlife from them. Uh, it's a forum that's starting at 6 p.m. goes to 8 p.m. at Founders Hall. Uh, on March 15th, the Community Center is holding its annual open house at Segura Hills Calabasas Community Center on Malibu Hills Road near the Sheriff's Station. 
Um, if you haven't been there especially, we welcome you to come. The community center is open free of charge all day, and there's a program from 11 to 3 with entertainment, with a St. Patrick's Day theme, and free food and raffles and other activities for children. The Savvy Seniors Lunch, the Spring Luncheon, will take place at the Calabasas Country Club on March 20th from 12 to 2 p.m. And finally, our Arbor Day celebration will occur on Saturday, March 22nd from 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. We'll be planting trees again at Gates Canyon Park. Thank you. Thank you very much, Councilwoman Maurer. I just have a couple announcements. I wanted to mention that at the anticoagulant rodenticide or rat poison forum, we'll have speaker Dr. Seth Riley from National Park Services, one of the leading authorities on wildlife in the area. And speaking of wildlife, the Santa Monica Mountain Conservancy on Monday night approved a very large sum of money for a study for both an interim wildlife corridor at Liberty Bell in the 101, as well as looking at a very creative long-term um, corridor that would go over the 101. It would be a green, a green road that goes over the 101, and Caltrans has been very cooperative. I want to give a shout-out to them, and um, we're moving forward with expanding a wildlife corridor. I went to the Trails Management Workshop. It's a public workshop um, for users of the trails, equestrian, hikers, bicyclists, everybody, and um, they're accepting public uh, um, comment right now on improvements and expansion of their trail system. And the most exciting part coming out of that workshop was they have this online, they have this online web-based public comment um, program. So you go online, you sign online, you find the program that you want to comment on, all the documents are there, and you provide your comments. And um, it's so efficient, so easy. So if anyone is interested in taking a look at the trail expansion plans, go to parkplanning.nps.gov, and you'll be able to find the Santa Monica Mountains uh, information. And then the last um, comment I have is that I, also, I attended the Mulholland Highway Workshop, and I'm sure a few of you have more information, but I think the robocall was extremely effective in bringing um, participants out and creating awareness of our workshop. So I, um, I wanted to encourage our staff to use that more frequently. And that's it. Uh, Councilwoman Martin. Um, I also just wanted to uh, reiterate that the robocall worked very well. And 99% um, of the residents said that's how they knew to come out and participate. So they're not really reading the mail or the postings that we're putting up, but the robocall was very efficient. Um, and uh, Robert handled himself very well. Um, so again, uh, you know, let's keep that at the top that when we have issues that uh, robocalls do work. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem Shapiro. Thank you. I first of all want to congratulate our local high school uh, boys and girls teams. The Calabas High School girls team made the CIF playoffs and won their first round. Uh, unfortunately, they were not able to beat the number one seed after that, but they had a great season and won a, a big upset in the first round. The boys have gone on to win two games, and they are now in the semifinals, I believe, in Orange County. Quarterfinals, I'm jumping ahead, positive thinking that I have. Uh, the quarterfinals this Friday in Orange County at El... El Dorado. El Dorado. El Cencia. Uh, 
and they, we wish them all good luck. We'll look forward to seeing them in the semifinals. Uh, I had the pleasure and I want to thank Jim Jordan and our staff here for all their assistance of uh, addressing, there was a national convention in Calabasas of the, uh, of the uh, Resource Conservation and Development uh, Councils from all over the country and they were very interested in our wildlife urban interface, the emergency programming we have, the uh, ways we, we uh, work to make our city safe and avoid fire danger and it really, uh, really was an impressive group of individuals and it was a pleasure. I want to also mention March 9th is Chabad of Calabasas's 11th annual celebration uh, at, at the Canyon Club. It's beginning at 6 p.m. Tickets are still available. And if you so wish, I believe they're, uh, my understanding is they are honoring this year our mayor and his wife, uh, and it is, should be a, a great event. And, and likewise, I will reiterate the robocalls work great for both both meetings. We had one on Las Virgin, uh, De Anza Park last night for those projects as well as the uh, Mulholland Highway corridor. Uh, and it was, it was great to see so much involvement and so many people come out. Great ideas and good job, Robert. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, this Saturday, that is March the 1st, uh, they're going to be dedicating a overlook uh, in the San Monica Mountains in honor and in memory of David Brown, our longtime city planning commissioner. Uh, that event is going on rain or shine, and uh, it is, you'll have to, you need to park at the King Gillette Ranch and be shuttled to the location. So those shuttles are going to be running between 9.30 and 10 o'clock. Last shuttle at 10 o'clock. If you get there after 10, you're going to miss it. And, uh, and uh, but it should be an absolutely wonderful event. Uh, and, uh, um, but make sure you're in the parking lot there to get shuttled by 10 o'clock out to the uh, location. If it is raining, I think they're going to move it inside into one of the buildings at the, at the uh, King Gillette uh, facility there. Um, Calabasas High School, we talked about the basketball. It, it, what I did want to mention is if, I hate to think ahead, but if they win, their last home game will be the semifinals on Tuesday night. And it's, we're going to need to pack the house to make sure they make it to the CIF finals. And then those are going to come up really quick the next uh, the weekend, the next weekend after that. So not this weekend, but next weekend, if they make it to the finals, they'll be playing at uh, somewhere, the Honda Center or Anaheim Convention Center or something. So it's something to watch for if they make it that far, and let's hope that they do. And um, we also had a champion in uh, wrestling at Calabas, Marmonte League champion Ben Hagopian from Calabas High School won the 128-pound category. And I... Uh, plan to, uh, along with the rest of the councilors, have all the Marmonte League champions and playoff uh, 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 students that were here come, come to the council in the future be recognized. Also, the spring concerts for the music program are next week, next Wednesday and Thursday night at 7 o'clock at the Performing Arts Center are the spring concerts for uh, uh, Calabasas High School uh, music department. They're great concerts and, and uh, love to see people out for that. This Friday night is the Chamber Bowling Tournament the Cal Cup at the Westlake Bowl. And uh, I know that I think the city, the city council has a team. I'm going to be bowling. I got roped into bowling with the school board team uh, with uh, school board members, Iser and Gaines. But that should be a lot of fun. And uh, everyone's invited to come by. And if, even if you're not bowling, come by and, uh, and join in uh, with the eating, drinking, and merriment that goes on uh, outside of the bowling. Um, 
The chamber also hosts every month a government affairs committee meeting, and that meeting is the first Monday of every month, so that would be next Monday, March 3rd. Meet at noon at Wolf Creek, get a nice Wolf Creek lunch, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a very good meeting. Councilwoman Martin and I are, are regular attendees, uh, and, and uh, some of the other council members are, get there when they can as well. Um, uh, but representatives of all of our lo local elected officials, the Water District, uh, and others, and we have very good discussions about uh, important governmental issues in the area, and, uh, and everyone's invited to join us uh, for that. And finally, while we're on business, next week, I think it's next Thursday night, the 6th is Thursday, is that right, is the grand opening of the Citibank. This is the new Citibank that you've watched be uh, 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 be developed in the next door at the Commons. They have their grand opening, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. next Thursday night, March 6th. I encourage everyone to come by uh, uh, and meet uh, not only the Citibank people, but all the Chamber of Commerce people that will be there. And, uh, and so that's next Thursday. With that, we, are, we have completed our council announcements and introductions. We do have some presentations tonight. We have with us uh, from... Uh, a very, very important program, one that we probably take for granted and is, is not only so important to our community because of the area that we're in, uh, but is important to communities throughout Southern California and frankly around the country and around the world because they provide such great leadership. And that is our Los Angeles Sheriff's Department Malibu Search and Rescue Program. And uh, uh, David Katz, uh, who is uh, with that program, is here to make a presentation to us tonight, and uh, David, welcome. Thank you for being here, and uh, we look forward to your presentation. Thank you, Mayor Gaines, and the rest of the uh, council, city attorney and city manager for having me here tonight. Uh, I'm here tonight really to just give you a little bit of background about the uh, Malibu Search and Rescue Team, which is part of the LA County Sheriff's Department. Um, I was promoted to captain of the team back in July of last year. Uh, I've been on the team for 24 years, and uh, what I'm gonna do is, um, we have actually a new video in the making and it's not quite ready yet. So a video that was produced last year, it's a one minute long video. It's produced by a, a few high school students um, who came to one of our joint trainings that we did with the fire department. So, so go ahead. doing the rescues? I'm sorry? Do you actually play that music when you're doing the rescues? It would get everybody very pumped up, I think. Yeah. Okay. Kind of get you, uh, ready to go. Um, so I, I thought that'd be a good way to just jump off. You see a little bit of what we do. Um, every year, I, I, for about the last 10 years, I've put together these joint trainings with the fire department. Uh, one of the reasons is, is that we're two completely different agencies. Obviously, we come from a law enforcement background, um, but our task is search and rescue. The fire department has so many things that they have to do and be good at. 
um, search and rescue added to everything else that they, that they do uh, makes it a very difficult uh, thing for them to have everything down. So they really have come to rely upon us as the ex experts in vehicles that go off the cliffs, uh, hikers that get stranded on cliffs or fall down in canyons, um, searches for missing hikers and other types of uh, missing people, and obviously things like evidence retrieval and searches for, for suspects, we do all of those. Um, so every year I do at least uh, two to four of those trainings annually uh, so that we are able to work with them when we end up there at 2 o'clock in the morning on the side of a cliff and it's dark and there's obviously victims over the side. Uh, by doing those annual trainings, they get to know who we are, they recognize the faces, they know our capabilities, and when we get on scene, we can actually integrate seamlessly together with the different equipment, the different protocols, the different radio communications, different channels, all of those different types of things, and it works very well. So tonight I just wanted to talk a little bit about what we do, who we are, how we're called, and what our assignments are, and then field questions that you might have about search and rescue. Um, the team is, is made up of all volunteers, um, so that includes reserve deputies. I'm a reserve deputy. My daytime job is a lawyer. Um, my, my nighttime weekend job and my rest of my 365 days, 24-7, is doing this. Uh, so I went through the Sheriff's Academy back about 24 years ago, right after I graduated law school, so people thought I was doubly crazy. Uh, we have all different, we have people from all different walks of life, lawyers, uh, accountants, doctors, nurses, um, students, people in communications, pretty much anything you can think of we have on the team. Uh, we have approximately 25 to 30 people on the team at any given time, and that ranges from people that have been on the team for a couple of years to people that have been on the team for 33, 34 years. Uh, the great thing about the team is we have people that stay. Uh, unlike the sheriffs, the regular sheriffs and the regular fire department, people come in for a few years, they move to a different assignment, or they move to a different district or a different area within the county. Everybody stays at our team. If they're continuing with search and rescue, they're staying on our team. So that gives us a really deep bench of knowledge for the area, the terrain, how to get into places quickly, how to get out of places quickly. Uh, many of our people have been on the team through many of the fires and earthquakes. So. We, we know where things get bad, where to go. If we're doing evacuations for, for fires or checking on the welfare, we know the areas to get in and get out of. Um, obviously within Calabasas and within the other cities and county areas that we serve. Our district um, is all the way from the Ventura County line to Topanga, to Pacific Coast Highway, and then to the 101. And then we have parts of Browns Canyon and Box Canyon down in Chatsworth area. So the team is made up of, as I said, um, reserve deputies as well as civilian volunteer specialists. Those are people that have not gone through the Sheriff's Academy, but they have some specialized uh, talent. Either they're a doctor or they are a, uh, a paramedic or they're a, a fire chief and we need their expertise. And for whatever reason, they're not able to go through the academy. So we have a few slots for people like that. And then we have a few people that are just civilian volunteers. And those are people that basically work the command post on searches and on other large-scale operations that are more, um, they're not as time sensitive as say a car over the side where you have the golden hour. And if you don't get to the, to the scene, get over the side, get the person out within an hour and get them to a trauma center, you might lose them. Um, so we have people that do those functions as well. We're relied upon by the fire department and national parks and state parks as the experts in search and rescue. Um, I can't tell you how many times, especially during our trainings that the fire department personnel come up to me and they say, 
you know, we're waiting for you. We're glad when you get there. Obviously, we're going to get there most of the time first, and we're going to go over the side and start packaging the patient or start treating the patient. But as soon as you guys get there and you roll up with your truck, then we feel a lot better because you have the right equipment, the right expertise, and we do this all the time. If you compare the 15 fire department stations within our district with the fact that we all come out of one station, we go to every call. Uh, the fire department has three shifts. We have no shifts. We're on 24-7, 365. So our team is going to respond to every call, whereas a district station within the fire department has three shifts, and they're only going to respond to what's in their particular district or assist in a different district. So by us going to every call, we have a lot of expertise in the types of incidents that we respond to. All of the members on the team are EMT or above, so emergency medical technicians. We have nurses, nurse practitioners, mobile intensive care nurses, and a doctor on the team. There are nine county teams within LA County. Uh, we are the busiest team within the county and probably one of the busiest in the state. Uh, we ran approximately 100 calls last year. We're 17 calls in already this year, and the two prior years were record years with 120-some-odd calls and 115, I believe, in the two years prior to, to 2013. We consider ourselves to be a triple threat. We have the law enforcement background, the rescue background, and the medical background. So that gives us the opportunity to do things that the fire department can't do and, frankly, the sheriff's department can't do. Um, if you have a, an active shooter incident in a school, for example, the Sheriff's Department's main purpose is going to be go in and neutralize the, the threat. The Fire Department is going to be staying outside of the threat zone because they can't, they're not armed and they're not protected, so they're not going to go into the hot zone. We can actually go into the hot zone as the rescue team, following in the, the contact team that will go in and neutralize the active shooter, and we can actually go in and start pulling victims out to the cold zone so they can be treated by the paramedics. So it, it brings a, a different capability that really doesn't exist in most areas. Uh, we respond, um, all, all of our vehicles, our rescue vehicles are parked at Lost Hill Station, just right down the road here. Uh, we have two rescue trucks, a mobile command post, numerous 4x4 vehicles, and quad runners that we use to go into the field on searches and other types of incidents where those can be useful. But all of us carry our personal gear, which is our tactical vest, our, our harnesses, our boots, our uniforms, all of that we carry in our personal vehicles so that we can respond directly to the scene. And a couple of team members will go to the station, pick up the rescue trucks, and roll lights and siren to the incident. But we will already be there starting over the side or into the field before those um, vehicles make it to the scene. The types of things that we respond to are cars that go over the side. Those are probably, for the Calabasas area, the most frequent type of rescues within this city. Um, also, missing, injured, and stranded hikers and climbers. Uh, natural disasters such as earthquakes, floods, fires. Hopefully, we won't have any floods this weekend with the, the rains that we're expecting. Uh, mass casualty incidents. Uh, we responded to the Metrolink train disaster, the derailment that happened up in Chatsworth a few years back. Um, the bridge decks uh, collapsed in Malibu where there were 20 plus people up on the deck and the, the deck collapsed and um, active shooter, terrorist, air crashes, body recoveries, as I said, evidence searches, searches for suspects, um, believe it or not, snow and ice rescues, although we don't have any out in this area. We do get called by our sister teams that are up in Angeles Crest and those areas to assist in snow and ice rescues. As I said, many of the team members have 20, 30 plus years of experience on the team. 
Uh, many of them have done regular patrol. I did 10 years of regular patrol in a patrol car together with search and rescue. So we have a, a real uh, depth of expertise both on the law enforcement side as well as on the rescue side. Uh, we are um, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, um, and we also have a website. So you can go to Malibu Search and Rescue on Facebook or at Malibu SAR on Twitter uh, and follow what we do. I'm also responsible as the public information officer for the team to get out the press releases, to contact the various patches, including the Calabasas patch, to make sure that the residents are getting up-to-date information on our rescues. So that's all I have for tonight, and if anyone has any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Thank you very much. Council members, any questions or comments? Um, Councilman I, Martin. I just wanted to, to say that uh, your presentation was so thorough that you answered every single question that I could have possibly thought of. Um, and thank you so much for uh, your service and everything that, uh, that you guys do. It's absolutely wonderful. And thank you for coming and sharing that with our residents. Pleasure. Mayor Pro Shapiro. Thank, again, uh, thank you. Also, I think we got to see you this summer with your group out at the uh, lake for the, for the concerts. You were out there, and, and I know the kids were thrilled to get the opportunity to talk to you as well. How would someone watching who is interested in the community and volunteering their services get involved, get in touch with you to offer their services? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. On our website, there's actually a link for people that are interested in getting involved, um, or they can contact. There's, there's also email tabs for recruiting or email tabs for the captain, and they can just click on one of those and send a message, and the recruiting officer will contact them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Councilwoman Mauer. I um, also wanted to thank you for coming and encourage my colleagues to go and observe one of your joint exercises. I've done it a couple times, and a couple of my kids have been victim actors that were rescued. It was, it's really something to see it hands-on and in action. It moves a lot slower than the video Yes, day, it does. <laughs> but it works. Um, now, what if, what if someone wanted to donate funds to your efforts? Well, thank you for asking that as well. There's actually a button for that on the website also. <laughs> Uh, you can click on donate and uh, you could do through PayPal or there's an address on there that you can send to our PO box. You can send funds to there. Um, and, and that really leads me to, again, thanking the Calabasas uh, City and the City Council for the support you've given us over the years. We know that you've provided numerous grants over the years for equipment. Um, oftentimes we roll up to a, to a training or to a, a rescue and the fire department is there and we think they have all the best equipment and then they see the equipment we have and they go, where did you get that stuff? We have to get that. Uh, and then, you know, two, three, four years later, you see them having the same type of setup that we have for various things. And that's in large part because of the support we've been getting from our cities that we serve here. And we really do appreciate that. Without that, you know, we get very little funds from the department. I mean, they do pay for vehicles and they pay for gas and those types of things. We're not paid. We get a dollar a year pre-tax and after tax. I think we end up paying back. So. Um, we really appreciate the support that we do get from the City Council and we do get from the public. We've gotten some tremendous donations from foundations over the years. We just purchased a new um, truck recently that was fully outfitted uh, to pull our command post. We have another truck that pulls our, our quad runners that are on a trailer. Um, and we're always in need of funds because we always, the next piece of equipment that we're looking at is actually a drone for purposes of searches. Um, there are a lot of times where, you know, we get a, a call, a 911 call, and the lat long, the latitude and longitude pops up on the 911 screen, and they give it to you, only to find out that 
That was where the informant called from, but the people are you know, three miles away. Um, so by getting a drone would give us an opportunity to be able to send the drone into the field with live camera feed to an iPhone or an iPad and be able to see um, you know, if we can locate them without launching a helicopter, which obviously costs about three dollars to $5,000 per hour to keep in the air, and it's also dangerous. This, we can, for $1,500, we can... How much it. is a drone? It's approximately $1,500. I know in the hour. past, when you've had a need um, to do your work, you've come to the cities, and we've all kind of shared costs, so you might consider doing that. We haven't done that for a while. Yeah, I appreciate that. I didn't come here tonight begging for money, but <laughs> well, um, you should. But I appreciate you saying that. Um, I, I, I figured coming you. once in a while without asking for money would be a good thing. Um, but yeah, that's our next thing on our list. And we and on the website actually, the, the drone is not on there because that's the latest thing we've been looking at, trying to evaluate. Um, but there are there is a list of equipment on the website that we're looking to purchase with the amount. And so if someone wants to specifically buy a piece of equipment, and we would publicly thank them on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and on the website, they can just click on and say, this is the piece of equipment I'd like to buy for you, and here's the amount, and do something like that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. James, did you have any comments? No, thank you. Captain, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, the, this council, the residents of our city, were deeply indebted to you and uh, all your teammates for their service, and uh, knowing that you're there is, is in, an incredible um, benefit to our community and we're, we're really so appreciative of all of your efforts so thank you very very much um, I uh, I don't know whether we have a link on our city website to the search and rescue we should look at you know we should uh, double check that to see if we do uh, have that uh, I think this would make some fun programming on CTV we can have some action shows but uh, like we just saw but uh, so maybe uh, it'll make a um, Michael, we, is there a link? No, I'm not sure. Okay, but we'll, okay. So we'll check about how we can link so that people come to our website can find you uh, more easily. Uh, we'll look at, um, if you're interested, we'd look at opportunities on our, our television station, our website to um, give people information. I think they'd be fascinated by this. It also came to mind that I think the chamber might be interested in having this presentation and you getting in front of the businesses and letting them know the types of things that you might be interested in. There may be some of our business community members that would like to participate in supporting uh, your team. So be happy to do so. We'll Thank look uh, forward to that. Thank you very much for coming with your presentation. <clears throat> okay, we're moving on. Our second presentation of the night. Uh, so there's something about a drought. I guess we're going to hear about that. Uh, no, we, it's a very serious situation, obviously, uh, as we're in, from what I've heard, maybe the driest year on record um, in California. And uh, uh, Jeff Reinhardt is here from our water district to talk about um, some of the issues and how that relates to our community and things that we can do. Thank you, Mayor, uh, Council members, uh, city staff, and uh, Importantly, uh, the residents of Calabasas, both here and uh, hopefully watching on, uh, on TV tonight. Let me first introduce uh, two of uh, our uh, leaders at the Water District. Uh, Charlie Casperi is the president of our board of directors, and uh, Carlos Reyes is uh, the director of facilities, I'm sorry, whoops, wrong one, <laughs> resource conservation and public outreach. Uh, he was formerly in facilities, and now he's my boss, or at least he was until I just said that. So, <laughs> But anyway, uh, thank you again for, uh, for having us here. 
Uh, we'll share with you tonight an update, and un unfortunately, my music uh, didn't quite make it uh, tonight, uh, unlike the Sheriff's Department. I thought about Handel's water music, but I need to keep you awake through this, too. But anyway, uh, we uh, do have uh, a serious situation in our state, and uh, I'll refer to the, uh, the slides that uh, you have in front of you and, and uh, uh, up on the uh, walls here. Uh, our fundamental issue is uh, the typical one for California, two-thirds of the water falls in the northern part of the state and two-thirds of the population lives in the southern end of the state. We have an extensive transportation system to move that water from north to south. Primarily, we have the um, California Aqueduct State Water Project, as it's also known as, and uh, there's the other system that the federal uh, government operates, the uh, Central Valley Project. And of course, the uh, first project, the uh, Los Angeles Aqueduct built by the city of LA and William Mulholland uh, just a little over 100 years ago. And together, they bring that water here to Southern California. It was joined later by the Colorado River Aqueduct. And we'll talk more about that in, in just a little bit. But uh, the primary source of water, of course, is uh, in the Sierras up north. Our water comes from about uh, 500 miles away. And as the mayor uh, referenced, uh, we're in the driest period of California's recorded history. And uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty amazing statement. Uh, and those upstate reservoirs are at uh, below average levels. The groundwater basins in the agricultural areas are being overdrawn, uh, not only uh, in the Central Valley, which we've heard about, but uh, some of the lower desert areas as well. And uh, importantly, even in our Oxnard Plain, uh, the uh, water is uh, now being drawn down to, in some instances, below sea level, and they're starting to see increases in the chlorides in the water that they're pulling uh, in the Oxnard Plain. So all three of the key users are being affected by this, urban, agricultural, and environmental uses all being impacted. And what makes this uh, situation rather unique, too, is that this is statewide. In the past, there may have been certain areas of the state that have been impacted. But uh, the statewide impacts of this are, uh, are pretty incredible. And just by way of illustration, uh, you saw on the map Lake Oroville up in Northern California, which is the primary source of our water as we receive water from the State Water Project. Uh, there's before and after pictures up there. Uh, uh, 2012 was about the last really good water year that we had. And then if you look at the uh, photo that was taken just last month, uh, there's a lot of uh, boats in that marina that are high and dry. And uh, there's not any great inflow of water into the uh, reservoir, at least as of yet. Lake Shasta, which is the source of water for the Central Valley Project, uh, also the largest reservoir in the state. Uh, again, a very huge water resource, and uh, again, down at uh, a fraction of its capacity. I did hand out uh, for the uh, uh, council and uh, for the benefit of the public, we have this uh, reservoir conditions uh, chart and it shows Shasta currently at 38% of its total capacity, where at this time of year it's typically up around 53%. Lake Oroville also 39%, and typically at this point in time of year it's about 57%. So obviously uh, uh, getting down to those levels that are critical. If you look down at the south, Pyramid Lake and Castaic Lake, uh, those are at the terminal end of the State Water Project. Those are kept full because that's our emergency water supply here for Southern California as well. So that's why those show uh, as being so high. Folsom Lake, uh, not in our supply system, but this illustrates uh, to a degree some of the anguish that uh, the communities up north are going through. And if you go roughly from Santa Rosa up north, uh, especially into the area of Mendocino, they're in some real dire straits up there. There's communities up there that may run out of water within 30 days. 
and the uh, governor is trying to define what subsistence levels of water may be. Uh, 50 gallons per day, which is not a lot of water when you think about showering, flushing, uh, doing our laundry, our dishes. Uh, 50 gallons a day is not much. We'll talk more about that number in just a little bit. So, in response to this, the governor has recognized this issue in the middle of January. He did uh, declare a, a state of drought emergency in the state. Uh, and following on the heels of that, the California Associ uh, Department of Water Resources uh, reduced the allocation for the state water project, which we get our water from, from a, a very low number to start with, 5%, down to zero. And that's unprecedented. Uh, it's uh, also caused some confusion. And that's one of the reasons that we're uh, very glad that you asked us to be here tonight. As uh, mentioned earlier, some California water agencies uh, can't expect to run out of water unless there's some uh, alleviation in their supply situation uh, in the next uh, few weeks. Metropolitan Water District is our regional supplier. All of our water comes from there. Uh, we rely on imports because our region does not have groundwater or uh, a flowing stream that we could dam up and use for water. What water is found in the few places where water collects underground here is of substandard quality, very high in mineral content. And our district was founded largely because going back in history in the 50s during a drought, one morning the uh, residents of Hidden Hills turned on their uh, water on Sunday morning and there was nothing to come out. And uh, that's what spurred the uh, foundation of the Las Virginis Municipal Water District. And its primary mission was to locate a source of reliable water. And by joining in with the Metropolitan Water District, that was achieved. So our local wells uh, aren't something you want to look at, especially when you consider that uh, one of them down at the base of the hill uh, and towards Amundsen Ranch was called Old Stinky. And that was largely because of the sulfur content. And you sometimes get a whiff of that, too, if you drive through the tunnel headed towards Malibu. Uh, but I can't imagine sending the family out to go get a few buckets of water from Old Stinky to start the cooking and cleaning for the day. That was named after one of the Agoura residents who had no water, right? <laughs> Sorry. Um, thank you, Mayor. <laughs> there, it's not all gloom and doom. And, and uh, I am happy to say uh, a few things. 20% uh, uh, of the Las Virginis Municipal Water District's demand for water is met by recycling. And uh, we were one of the early adopters of recycling in the early 70s. Uh, LVMWD uh, invested in recycling as a means of uh, uh, making beneficial reuse of the water that was sent to us for wastewater and wastewater treatment. We're one of the largest per capita recyclers in the state of California. And we hope to continue expanding our recycled system, but there's other issues that go with that, such as having a place to store water in off-peak times and then use it during the peak times. From 1987 through 1992, we had a significant drought. Some of you may remember that. As a result of that experience, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California invested very significantly in storage. And that's been the savior right now. Just like any family who does kitchen table budgeting and you put that money aside for a rainy day, uh, Metropolitan spent uh, upwards of, uh, uh, well, several, I think about five to six billion dollars on storage. And as a result of that, that's what we're living on right now. That's what we're getting our water from, is from stored resources. And those stored resources are adequate to sustain us through 2014. Now, the uh, storage was increased from about a million acre feet to over six million acre feet. And included in that portfolio is the Diamond Valley Lake Complex uh, out near Hemet. Uh, that's 800,000 acre feet just by itself. 
and then uh, some storage in the Central Valley, and there's even some water stored up north on one of those uh, 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 dams you saw here, uh, uh, and that's up at uh, San Luis. So that's the rainy day fund, if you will, but like that family that budgeted for the rainy day, you know you can't live off your savings forever. So our water portfolio, state water project, at this point in time, we're getting zero. The Colorado River, fortunately, uh, is having a normal uh, rain year this year, and that's unusual because they've been in a drought situation for about the past 14 years. Uh, we could, for the first time in many, many decades, see Colorado River water coming into our district this year. Uh, they have the ability to move that water uh, in our direction if necessary. In the past, we've been getting the State Water Project water, which is excellent quality. So you may notice a little change in the uh, taste uh, of your water if we do get Colorado River water as it comes along. The stored supplies, as we mentioned, that's okay for now. Uh, but those uh, stored supplies are finite. So the next source of water is probably the most important one, and that is conservation. It's essential for our long-term uh, approach to getting through this experience. Some of you may have received a robocall tonight. I noticed you were referencing those earlier as being effective for uh, uh, promoting city events. Uh, the Water District did one tonight, uh, essentially informing the community that uh, it's going to rain. We expect a rainy weekend, and this would be an appropriate time to shut down the sprinkler system uh, and save that water. Let the uh, Mother Nature bring it for you and uh, save that water uh, that uh, your irrigation system might uh, put out there. Uh, it's always embarrassing, isn't it? Look out and see your, your water sprinklers on when it's raining. We're trying to save you that embarrassment, and we're trying to save you uh, being in violation of one of our uh, conservation measures. Metropolitan Water District's board adopted a water supply alert resolution uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, our board did the same thing last night. Uh, so uh, we're on board and calling for a 20% voluntary reduction in water use and uh, the conservation uh, outreach is being stepped up. Besides our robocall, we've also sent out tweets and uh, made postings on our Facebook page. For those of you who would like to sign up and follow us on Facebook, we'll send timely information. We don't send a lot of uh, uh, unnecessary stuff. But uh, it's a good way to learn what's going on and staying up with uh, the water district. Uh, just look for Las Virginas Municipal Water District or LVMWD and, uh, and you'll get there. The board of directors of our district has adopted these mandatory conservation measures. And these are in our code, so these have the, essentially the force of law. So we just want to reiterate these for the community. Irrigation is prohibited between the hours of 10 a.m. and 5 p.m., period. That's a time when there's a lot of... Uh, uh, wind blowing uh, through the daytime hours, but importantly, wa that water is largely lost to evaporation. So that's the primary reason for that regulation. The uh, irrigation, and this is the important one for this weekend, may not occur during periods of rain or in the 24 hours following uh, rainfall of an inch or more. It doesn't even have to be an inch. Your lawn will get by fine for a few days beyond the rainstorm. The irrigation may not run off the property into uh, streets or onto adjacent properties or the gutters. Uh, washing down of sidewalks, parking areas, and driveways is not permitted unless an approved water broom is used. And that's primarily for, uh, uh, we talk about the water broom, uh, for businesses that may have patios uh, such as restaurants and so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, the, new, uh, the new hose in California is a push broom, okay? Think of it that way. Uh, trigger nozzle required for hoses used for car, home car washing. Some folks have even taken to washing their cars on the lawn. It's another way to capture some of the water. 
And hotels and motels, and all of our hotels in this region, by the way, are terrific uh, with this one, must give the multi-night guests the opportunity to retain their towels and linens uh, if they're staying for, uh, for several days, and that's, that saves a lot of water. So those are the measures that we have in place right now. Importantly, a lot of water gets lost through uh, unintended wastage, and we got a photo up there of a, a sprinkler that's kind of misfiring or maybe something uh, uh, disturbed the head. Please check your irrigation systems, and importantly also, check your irrigation controller. We've got the change in time coming up next week. That's a great cue for folks to go out and cut back that irrigation controller to only irrigating at, at, at the most every other day. There's no reason to irrigate every single day. There's no reason to irrigate several times a day. Sadly, some folks are still doing that. Fix the leaks and the broken sprinklers. But importantly, so many folks have landscape contractors or even just mow and blow services. Please let those folks know that saving water is important to you. If they don't hear it from you, put yourself in their place. You hire them, they figure you want the place to look nice, they want it to look green, and so on and so forth, and it can by using less water, but they have to hear that from you, and you have to tell them, you know what, it's okay to cut back on that irrigation, and if the lawn starts to brown up, it, it'll let us know, then we can talk more about that later. But let them know that that's a priority of yours. 70% of all the water we deliver is used outdoors. So if folks cut back on that, that would help us greatly. And then finally, look at uh, drought-tolerant, California-friendly landscaping. We have a program that will help you with that, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But we're asking folks to help us in another way. And uh, you heard the sheriff talk earlier that uh, your smartphone gives him the location of uh, uh, somebody in distress. Well, when you take a photo and you have your GPS turned on, it also records it on the photo. And if you see an incident such as a sprinkler that's uh, going crazy or someone who may be uh, having a lot of runoff from their property, uh, we're asking you to send that to us. And it's a very simple address, stop the waste at lvmwd.com. Now, this isn't ratting out your neighbors. <laughs> in fact, we want to say this is helping your neighbors because, quite frankly, when a lot of these things happen, they're not home. And our interest is not being water cops. Our interest is, hey, let's fix this problem. Let's stop wasting water. We will uh, contact that customer, uh, offer them the help and assistance of saying, you know, we understand there may be an issue with your irrigation system, and we'll work with them on conducting a free water audit. And uh, folks can call that information into us as well, or even call us and set up a free water audit by calling us during the daytime business hours at that number, 818-251-2200, and we'll be glad to, uh, to set up a free water audit for anybody who would like one. Conservation rebates, we have our Mow No Mow Lawn Replacement Program. We'll pay up to $2,500, a dollar a square foot for folks to take out their lawn and to uh, replace it with California-friendly plantings. We also have rebates on high-efficiency toilets, the uh, water-saving washing machines, those new front loaders. Uh, an old washing machine, the old top loaders, use 45, 50, 60 gallons a load, depending on your family size. Uh, these new front loaders use 10 to 15 gallons per load. Do the math over the course of a year, how many loads of laundry you do, and those numbers become real big very quickly. Weather-based irrigation controllers, soil moisture sensors, the new rotating sprinkler heads, we have a rebate on those. And uh, a rain barrel, if it ever rains, or if it does rain well, uh, if you have a rain barrel, uh, you can capture some of that for, uh, for watering your plants as well. So these are some of the ways that we're glad to uh, help the public uh, save water. We'll wrap it up with this. Reliable supplies are in place for now. Uh, and that's important, not only for our own security and the reliability of our water service, but we will have water not only for public health and safety, but for firefighting, uh, for our own homes and, and our prudent home use. 
Uh, no mandatory allocations for now, okay? Because again, the investment in storage has been a good one that's paid off for us. Customer conservation actions are absolutely essential. Uh, the water you save this year is the water we may well need next year. If we have another substandard year, this conversation this time next year will be greatly different. And importantly, remember too that the folks up in Northern California perceive that the folks in Southern California are taking their water and using it for their golf courses and, and swimming pools. And if you're up there in one of those places where uh, they're really being pressed for water, uh, they're gonna watch us very closely to see how we're using water. The good news is we're getting more efficient. But uh, in our district, we could be ever more efficient. Remember earlier the 50 gallons per capita per day that the governor was looking at? Use in our district is over 300 gallons per day. And that's very high, and even in comparison to the city of Los Angeles right next door. Uh, it's almost twice that, uh, uh, what they use over there. We understand that here there are estate properties and there are larger properties such as some of the, uh, the farms and, and agricultural operations uh, uh, up in the, uh, the mountains and so on. But 300 gallons per capita per day is how we measure it. And that doesn't mean, you know, when I mentioned that to a group one time, they said, there's no way I could drink that much water. No, you, you wouldn't do well if you did that. But when you look at the outdoor usage, which is the, the big number, uh, that's a number that's uh, easily managed down by irrigating no more than uh, every other day, maybe every third day, especially during these cooler times of the year and when we have the uh, rains, uh, let Mother Nature do it for you and uh, uh, reap the benefits of that. But let's uh, remember our friends in other parts of the state where that water may be needed and let's also remember that uh, this is a precious resource that goes to the very base of our quality of life in this region. And by uh, using water wisely, everybody benefits. And uh, I'm glad to uh, have shared this with you tonight. Thank you for having asked us here. And not only am I ready to answer some questions, but uh, I have a, a panel of experts as well. Thank you, Jeff, and, and thank you uh, for being here with uh, everyone from the Water District. You, you guys do a great job of providing information regarding uh, not only our water supply, but our but conservation measures. And uh, I urge people to contact the, the, the district uh, if they have any questions, if they have any issues, if they'd like any assistance with any of these issues. They are very, very attentive and ready to assist. And please visit our website. We have a whole section on conservation, including uh, this document I shared with the, uh, the uh, council tonight, and there's again some over here. And this was put together by the state, uh, the Save Our Water folks. Uh, but what does it take to reduce your usage by 20%? And these aren't huge draconian measures. These are rather simple measures that all of us could and should be doing. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, it was mentioned a couple of times, although I did receive uh, correspondence from Don Kanabi, the president of the County Board of Supervisors, chairman of the County Board of Supervisors, asking that all county residents shut their sprinkler systems off at this time. Uh, there'll be enough rain this weekend to cover that. Uh, you can easily go a couple days into next week or, you know, for the next week, frankly, you probably don't need to run your irrigation uh, in the city of Calabasas. There's no reason that we shouldn't be complying with that and saving literally tens of thousands of gallons of water uh, throughout our city and throughout the region. Um, are there any comments or questions from the uh, council on this presentation? Councilwoman Martin. Hello. Um, I had a question I had mentioned at our COG meeting about letting restaurants know uh, only giving the patrons water if they ask for it, as opposed to just automatically bringing it to the table. Um, I've attended a lot of meetings, lunch meetings, 
and uh, people don't you know touch their water they've ordered something else mm -hmm. um, are we doing anything to outreach to those are, you said hotels that you had done are we doing an outreach to the restaurants it's a voluntary call that we'll we'll put to them uh, we have not done it yet we did it in the last drought and yeah. uh, it was uh, uh, spotty, shall we say, in terms of the uh, response to it. it it's uh, not so much, and some folks get confused because they think, well, you know, that little bit of water isn't going to make a great deal of difference, but it does. It's not that you consume it or that you don't consume it, but it requires a lot of water to wash all of those glasses uh, because they put them through an automatic dishwasher. So that's where the water is lost and saved. Uh, by restaurants not doing that. Now, I know we have a number of upscale restaurants, and some of them offer even water sommeliers or whatever, but uh, we will be asking the restaurants to curtail the, uh, the water and, and just do it by demand. But that's an excellent point, uh, Council Member. Thank you. Um, is there any uh, option in the future of individuals getting recycled water to use as their landscaping? The recycled system is not developed into many, uh, in fact, no uh, significant residential neighborhoods. And there's a couple of reasons for that. It's very costly uh, to build it, but also there's a lot of regulations that go with using recycled water, uh, such as backflow preventers, keeping the systems from becoming interconnected and, and so on. Uh, the state is the one that determines uh, these codes that apply to that and uh, managing uh, the recycled water system for residential users is probably still a little bit more down the road. Uh, the big users are the ones that are really important, uh, the parks, the golf courses, the highway medians, the school district is a huge user of recycled water, and that's a good place for those resources. As I mentioned earlier, too, during the summer months this last year, demand for recycled water was so high, we actually had to supplement that system with a little potable water to keep it wet. So that's where a storage reservoir might come in handy, and that's a project that the district has been examining. A storage reservoir would allow us to use off-peak times during the winter months when demand is lower, store some of that water, and then use it in the summer uh, to supplement the recycled system and uh, hopefully expand the recycled system. And have we looked, um, have you looked into any, um, a thing as uh, individual users um, prorating if you're not it's an interesting point I think what you're referring to is a concept called budget-based billing and what that would be is we look at each individual parcel and the number of people living in that residence and whether or not they have animals such as horses and so on and so forth and then coming up with a, uh, a budget for that property uh, that would work year-round and it would be of course prorated for summer months winter months and so on we're looking at that. In fact, our board is having a workshop on that. And Carlos, is that on the 13th of March? And that will be an open council workshop. The public is welcome to attend that. And uh, it's being used successfully elsewhere. Uh, Irvine Ranch Water District is using this program, and they've seen significant reductions in individual uh, home water use by using this program. And I believe the Western Municipal Water District has also recently uh, implemented this program. It's a new way of looking at water billing, and you might uh, be a few doors down from a person with a larger property and animals, and you might have a, a smaller property and only a few folks living in your home. You will have different water budgets under a program such as that. It's not been adopted. It's something that the district is examining, and the board will ultimately uh, make a decision as to whether or not it makes sense for our district. And lastly, I just want to thank you for all your outreaching. And um, I know we put 
connected to the city website, um, some of your uh, management on uh, reducing and stuff. So, um, you know, you've been out there and I've seen you at different meetings and everything. So thank you for We really appreciate doing that and we appreciate the, the city's resources uh, in terms of helping to spread the word. And in fact, uh, I heard a rumor that one of the city's hosts for one of its TV shows may be looking to uh, try our Mo No Mo program. So I'm not gonna say any more than that, but if that happens, that would make an interesting story. Okay, any other questions or comments from council members? I'd like to thank it, uh, the Water District for the presentation and always we enjoy working with you as much as we can and we appreciate your willingness to come out here and make these kinds of presentations regularly. Thank you. As you do often. Appreciate that. Very good, and again, let's, um, I believe we do have good clink, uh, connectivity with our website and information on our website related to the water district, but particularly on this issue of of not uh, people turning off their irrigation, maybe we could uh, even do an e-blast. If, if the district is doing a, a phone call, we don't need to do another phone call, uh, but um, uh, possibly an email blast or something on that uh, for this particular weekend. President Casperi. Charlie Casperi, I want to thank you very much for the opportunity to present information that residents uh, can use to reduce their bills and conserve water. If they pay attention, they'll really see ways to save. And I do want to do, do want to invite the public and staff and council members to our next uh, workshop on March 13th, 8 a.m. And that will be on the budget-based budget uh, rate concept uh, where that Jeff mentioned, where everybody has a, a water budget based on the, the amount of landscaped area on their lot, the number of people, if there's, they have horses, there's a, and it is proven to reduce use. And that's something that we've got to get to because state law requires a 20% reduction by 2020. Drought or no drought, that is, that's, is and has been state law. So we've got to get there. And the people with big green lawns, although they're beautiful, are going to have to really think about how how much value that adds to their lifestyle because they're going to wind up paying for it. Thank you very much. We Thank really you. appreciate Thank your you. presentation, and you, uh, uh, we will take heed of those of uh, that information. All right, we are done with our presentations. We're on oral communications, public comment, and I have no cards for public comment. Is there anyone here that would like to speak in public comment today? <coughs> Seeing none, we'll move forward to the consent agenda. Is there a motion related to the consent agenda? Move. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Is there any discussion regarding the consent agenda? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? The consent agenda is adopted. That's items one and two. We now move to new business. Item three, chief financial officer's presentation regarding state controller's report. And we welcome Dr. Gary Lysick, our chief financial officer, for this presentation. Well, thank you, Council, for uh, the opportunity to discuss what I'm about to discuss, and it has to do with uh, Calabasas City staffing. I decided, you don't see it, oh, there you go. I decided for the people at home, uh, actually, to show them how to get to, uh, you know, view this sort of information uh, from the website itself. So that's, that's exactly where I'm going to go. Um, and then from there we will we will go. So um, the 
the, uh, the address is cityofcalabasas.com. The website looks like this. Uh, you can go to government. You can go tonight for city council. You go to agenda. Uh, and there's the beautiful agenda that we were just at, and I'm number three. It shows the city report, and there's also here a presentation. So that's the presentation. That's how people at home would be able to get to it. And uh, so from here we will start. The purpose of this presentation, frankly, was if you can remember uh, uh, maybe a month or so ago in the Acorn uh, newspaper, there was a printed article entitled, Good Work If You Can Get It. And the purpose of that article was basically to provide information regarding staffing levels, uh, benefits, salaries, things of the like, not just for Calabasas, but for uh, neighboring cities as well, Westlake Village and Agoura Hills. In that report, some comparisons were made between um, uh, the various cities, uh, the state of California, the United States as a whole, um, with references to the state controls report, and I'll tell you how to get to that as well and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, this presentation, hopefully, hopefully, and if uh, you have any additional questions or comments after I'm done, please ask them, but it should clarify some of the information that was printed in that article. The state controller's report uh, could be uh, seen at home or any place on the web, um, you know, that you have access to, http publicpay.ca.gov. When you go there, you'd be able to look at information regarding a bunch of different things, one of which is government compensation. And you can see the compensation for uh, each employee at the city level, the county level, uh, special agencies within the state. And then the sort of information that you see is uh, presented here before you. So let me just briefly say that it identifies uh, residents, you know, the number of residents in the city, how many employees a, uh, a particular, in this case, city has. And then the math kind of starts, uh, uh, you know, residents per city employee, so you just take one divided by the other, and, and the amount spent on wages, and et cetera. So you will see these things, but basically it's primarily uh, based on the number of employees that are reported. That takes me to what I think is the statistical reporting issue with the State Controller's Report, in that the State Controller required me to present to the state, to the, to the Controller's Office, a listing of all employees, full-time and part-time, that basically um, I cut a, a W-2 for. So a person working 40 hours a week or a person working 40 hours a year right, or even less, still received a W-2, was counted as, as a head. So one guy 40 hours or one guy two hours a week was still a head. It, it, it was still one person. And so for that reason, you know, and regardless of the number of hours, um, again, they counted every W-2 as a person. But to count a part-time person similar to that of a full-time person certainly doesn't make, in my opinion, accurate uh, uh, it's not an accurate method for calculating statistical information. And therefore, and something that I call a full-time equivalent employee, right? So if I have two part-time people each working 20 hours a week, and if a week is, is a normal work week of 40 hours, uh, if I have two part-time people, then that should equal one FTE. And so if we understand that, then we move forward. In the first column, SCO means State Controller's Office, and in the second column, FTE means full-time equivalent. And if you were listening, you know what I mean by a full-time equivalent. So if you look at the second line, 
the number of employees uh, drastically is reduced from 280 down to 135. So what 280 means is that I cut 280 uh, W-2s, right? And those people, if you add up all their hours, equate to 135 full-time equivalent employees. And therefore, the residents per city employee changed from 85, it went to 177, meaning so for every 177 uh, residents at the city, there's one employee, right? Uh, the others, uh, 338 amount spent on wages per resident stays the same. The amount spent on total retirement and health costs per resident remain the same at $103. Uh, but the next two also changed. The average wages per city employee went from 29000 but if we have fewer full-time equivalent employees, naturally you would expect that the average wage goes up. And about $59,000 is really about where we stand. There are some people, the average means that you take them all and you divide them by the number. So it's the average. There are some people higher, and there are some people lower than 59000 but it's the average of that. Uh, the average retirement and health cost for city employees is really about $18,000 per year not the eight that is reported at the state controller's report. Uh, total wages paid by the city, eight million, and total retirement and health costs uh, paid by the city for each employee, uh, 2.5 million. This presentation's uh, 12 pages long, and uh, I have seven slides here. We'll, we'll go fairly quick um, because I think they're fairly obvious. The number of city employees you can see from 2009 to 2012. Now, why did I do 2012 and we're in 2014? Because that's what the state controller's report, that's what they asked for. They want data through 12, so I'm reporting through 12. I can actually provide data now through 13 for the state controller's report, but the purpose of this presentation is to tell you the differences between the state controller's report using the numbers that they have and those with FTEs. So you can see 157 in 2009 went down to 135 in 2012, and that was because you had a hiring freeze. You had some people that left that uh, weren't replaced. Um, and when that happens, you see that the residents per city, right, if I have fewer employees, then uh, I have uh, residents per city employee has to go up, right, because the number of people went down. Those went from 151 to 177. This is a waterfall chart. Uh, that basically shows that I have 135 heads, 135 people, full-time equivalent people working at the city, but other cities, neighboring cities, for example, don't have uh, Creekside, uh, which is a, uh, uh, a preschool here at the city, Tennis and Swim Center, right, uh, which also, oh, and the 18 at, at Creekside shows how many heads, how many people, full-time equivalent people are working at Creekside. At the Tennis and Swim Center, there's 13. And at the library, not all cities have libraries either. So the 135, if you compare us to neighboring cities, perhaps you'd look at uh, 92. But then if you also add on media, which also includes IT, which is information technology, uh, folks, they got 10 of them there. So not all cities have such a, a nice presentation. Uh, we were talking earlier about the website and how we have that updated for the water district. Eh, it takes people to do that. And then council, I mean, I, I pay you guys, I don't pay you much, but I, I do pay you, I do have W-2s there, and if you take them out because they're not necessarily, they're kind of a quasi-employee, so you'd, you would go from 135 to 92 and maybe minus five uh, if you do that. So that's just kind of sort of to kind of set, set 
everything straight there. Retirement and health care paid by the city, lo and behold, since 2009 we went up, but in 2010 it was higher, and then in 2012 went down. It's basically because if we lose a full-time person that we do pay uh, re retirement and health care to, and then we replace them um, either fully or, or partially with a part-time person, they don't receive health care and retirement benefits. Wages paid by the city. Uh, generally speaking, relatively flat over the last four years at about $8 million. Average wages for the employees um, go up. If, uh, if a uh, more senior person leaves, he has a higher salary. If he is replaced with part-times, they're normally lower salaries. If he is replaced with another full-time, uh, generally speaking, you bring him in at the first, second, or third step, something uh, a little bit lower. Um, but uh, the average wages uh, did go up because we do have uh, fewer people. Top 10 salary earners um, are listed there. I put their, their numbers uh, next to them, uh, starting with the city manager, going down to the information systems manager, all the directors in between. Uh, the range is between $216,000 and $114,000. Where's uh, city council? Uh, city. <laughs> City Council are actually the, the, the lowest paid five people that I have on, on, on my payroll. <laughs> and so um, those are my charts. And, and so this is the first half of my presentation. The other half is going to be this uh, kind of sort of going through and introducing you to OpenGov.com. So at this time, if there's any questions, comments, uh, concerns that you'd like to share with me over the, uh, you know, what I presented in the first 12 slides, I'd, I'd like to take them now. I have one. Mm -hmm. Yes, Councilman Bazajan. Okay, so going back to the number of city employees, uh, you had you know it, they, the one, yeah, the one with the, one before that. This one? That one, yeah. Okay. Oh, you like that. Yeah. I do like that because now, so in the number 92, is that, are there any in those 92 that, uh, like I noticed at the Creekside and the other ones you have that are, look, look to me brown boxes, those, those are um, from other sources of funding or self-funded, like from another whole, they're not from the general fund. Well, uh, yes and no. Creekside is from the general fund, but it uh, generally pays for itself through, well, through, I, through registration fees. Say. Yeah, it's either from another fund or it's self-funded. Or, or self-sustaining. So like, self-sustaining. Yeah, so that's... So are there any others? Or relatively close to self-sustaining. The, the real reason for this was to try and pick out a couple of the programs that other local cities might not have, so that if someone wanted to compare uh, the number of full-time employees at one city versus the other and say, oh my goodness, you have 20, well, 30 more. Well, do you run a preschool? Do you run a library? Do you run this? And this gets, gives you the ability to look at that and compare no, I, that. No, I understand that. It wasn't that. the funding. It no, was the I function. know, but okay. what I'm more concerned of is the funding. Hmm. Because a, the real, is the number 92 a real number or is that, are there other jobs within there that are also funded from other sources, not from the general fund? A 92 basically is everything else that the city does is normal day-to-day -day business absent Creekside Tennis and Swim Center. So and it includes library. the landscape maintenance system. So it does. Okay. Remember, so remember. Okay. okay. That out well, too. what I'd like, but what I'd like is I'm not so concerned with comparing that this city has this. And is there a number you can give us that's just purely out of the general fund or not funded from other sources or not yes, reimbursed from other levels? Because that's what a number that we get asked, or at least I get asked, 
and I'd like to do that. I understand, and I'm, the media, I don't think it's fair to count separately because that's our choice to, to have Correct. a large media operations staff. Mm -hmm. The council, you know, it's five people who get, you know, $10,000 a year what, and plus, so it's not really, I can take that out. But I'm interested in taking out other categories too, and I'd like that number. I can give that to you. The only other fund that has employees is probably Landscape Maintenance District. Do we have, would no, you have no, employees? No, no, no. You don't have employees, but they no, no. pay for a certain well, amount of hours. Well, they're for employees that right. are tied the, to another. The, the, the point of Councilmember Bozajian is, is Creekside is an anomaly because Creekside are fund 10 employees. They're general fund paid employees, right. but they're reimbursed by user fees. Correct. It's different than the Tennis and Swim Center. The Tennis and Swim Centers are paid through an enterprise fund. The reason we did it this way is because the state controller doesn't differentiate with, with any of this. If they said, you issued that many W-2 forms, what we're trying to do here is not show, but, but basically, Councilmember Zion, your number is if you subtract the, the, the 13 and the 12 from 135, you get the number of positions that are, that, that are paid. You see what I'm getting at? No, that's it, not what I wanted, though. I want 92 minus any other things like the Landscape Maintenance District that's getting outside funding or is self-sustaining. I, I got what you mean. I can, yeah, there's, I can a couple, there's a couple of members, because we're paying for the landscape, our employees from the landscape. Uh, mm -hmm. Steve Ball and that, and that staff is being paid for mm -hmm. from, from landscape funds. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not, right. It, right. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I know I what the controller's of. asking for, but what I'm asking for is a real number that we can actually right. say, this is a number of employees your tax dollars are, are supporting. That is a, a particular drain on, on the if you will, fund. on the general fund. Well, yeah. the general fund tax dollars. Without any sort of reimbursement. Correct. I got you. I can give that to you. And Creekside does take money out of the general fund. It does. Correct. So it, let's not. It does. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I don't know what you guys agreed to it, uh, 85 percent or something like that. So 15% is taxpayer money, 85% is reimbursed from uh, registration fees and classes and stuff like that. I have, yes. I have a quick question. So, Gary, every year we're going to run into this problem with the way that they're asking us to report our employees. Well, I can't change what they ask me for. I mean, they ask me for a listing of every employee that I've given a W-2 to. And I got to tell you uh, that there's a person in the 235 number, uh, the 280 number, the, the, right? That I paid him for less than two hours, so well, he I'm still sure counts as. I'm sure that's not what it. they meant. But I mean, did you ever call I'm their sure office? I'm sure that that's what they meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've spoken with them and want? I've read their instructions, and their instructions have recently changed. And I want to say, like 11, it was a little different. 10 was a little different. But in the year 12, it was everybody that you gave a W-2 to. I and so if they rules. worked two hours, they are considered a full-time employee? Not necessarily. Well, they are just counted as an employee of the city. Right. Right. Now, but they they're don't not full-time, but they didn't make that distinction. Well, I would, um, I would see if you couldn't try and get them to correct that. <laughs> it's a problem. I'll, I'll send them my presentation <laughs> like uh, Mr. Yalda suggested in, in and see if they change. In all seriousness, I mean, this, this, it's, I, it's supposed to portray how government, local governments spend their funds and, and how many employees, and this is terribly inaccurate. So I think that we should pursue an official letter of correspondence to them, showing them what they came up with based on requiring every W-2 and what we've come up with. 
I agree. I think it's a good idea to send them a letter. Okay. I'd, and I'd be happy to sign it, or it can come from the city manager or the CFO. Just one comment. Uh, Gary, I wanted to thank you for your report, especially the waterfall chart makes it abundantly clear to everybody who, who is looking at that, that our full-time equivalent employees are not even the 135 in comparison to other local cities around us and that don't have the facilities we, we have. And that's, that's a very easy way for anyone to take a look at it. Uh, I, I, is this posted on the website as well, or will it be? Uh, it is. Okay. Uh, if you recall, how I got to it was through a link right. that's, that's on the website. Uh, this presentation, I don't think, will make any other link on the website, I don't think. Okay. But this will certainly be there for as long as uh, agendas are being posted. Thank you. You're most welcome. Any other comments or questions? Uh, I'm very appreciative. Thank you very much for the mm -hmm. presentation. I do think it, it helps to clarify. Um, look, it, we, we don't sit here making every decision based on what Westlake or Agura does. We do what, uh, what we want to do to provide the services we want to provide to our <coughs> residents, uh, and then we ask our residents if they're satisfied and what they like and what they don't like, and we live within our means and we do that. Um, you'll recall we've had a hiring freeze, which has resulted over the last few years while we were uh, having a, a decreases in revenue in a reduction of full-time city employees uh, of, I'll say, about 10. It may be an That's 8 to 10 measure. range. Um, we've shuffled positions in order to accommodate that. And uh, as I like to say when I'm out talking to the public, you probably didn't notice that we, that we did that because we did it, really tried to do it in ways that would be um, without firing or furloughing or laying anybody off during the entire recessionary period. Um, we were able to slim down on the staff, and you didn't notice it in your services. So that, I think, is, uh, is, is way more important than what the FTE number is compared to any other city. Um, and, and, uh, uh, and, and, but I do think this is important for people to remember that we do run those extra programs in the city uh, that are going to make those numbers always look higher than a city that doesn't have a library or a city, you know, that has, gets county library service or a city that doesn't have these other kinds of, uh, uh, of services. So uh, I'm very appreciative of that. And now we're going to, uh, you're going to unveil our, one of our new links on the website, the OpenGov link. Indeed, and I will show again the folks at home uh, how to get to it. Um, if you guys can remember how I got to here, basically it's cityofcalabasas.com. This is the home page. And right over here in the kind of the upper right-hand corner, the second link right below the weather cam is OpenGov. And you can go ahead and clink, uh, click on that if you... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead and, uh, and, and clink on that. Oh, my word. Here we're clinking now. Uh, when this thing uh, popped up here, uh, what it basically does is it gives you a snapshot. What I did was over the last uh, five-year period of time, and you can see at the bottom of this chart, starts with 0910, and that's fiscal year 09, which is July of 09 to June of 2010. And I, did, uh, and, and I provided actuals for every account number within every division, within every fund, 
uh, to an organization called OpenGov. I did the same for 10, 11, and 11, 12, and 12, 13. And then I provided the budget for 13, 14, because we don't have actuals yet for that. So, so the only thing that I have is, is a budget plan. And then basically, you can take a look. It just kind of shows you, and I'm not going to go through everything, but the reason I showed you how to get to this online and everybody here and at home uh, so that you can take it and, and play with it and expand things. So I'll, I'll just kind of introduce you. Over here on the, on the side, you have expenses, you have revenue. And uh, if let's just take revenue, for example. There's the total revenue for the city over that period of time. Uh, I, I, I will get to it. I, I will indeed. Um, uh, okay, look. Uh, up, up here on the right are these, are these different things. Right? This is a uh, 100% uh, stacked line chart, right? So everything comes up to 100% and it percentizes it. This is what we were just looking at. These are just different lines, right? You know, interesting. Um, maybe some of these tell you... Maybe, oh, she, she loves cool? it. She loves a pie chart. I will make a note of that during my budget presentation. There will be nothing but pie charts uh, in, in the next budget presentation. Um, and then uh, for those of you who are very analytical, you can just look down here at the bottom and you can see the numbers that make up any chart uh, of your liking. Right? If, I, if I go to this or any chart, you can click on taxes you know, for example, and it'll tell you the different type of taxes. So over here we got roughly in 2009-10, we got about $24 million worth of revenue and uh, 4.9 of that came from taxes, right? And then you should be able to look at... Um, uh, 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 uh. Can, can I interrupt you one second? Gary? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, the, the reason this came about was uh, Councilmember Maurer and Councilmember Bozajan went to the uh, League of California Cities and saw a presentation on this thing and came back and said, this is pretty cool, why don't you look at it? So we did, we looked at it. Uh, there are a lot of cities using this. Two of them are Beverly Hills, Thousand Oaks is using it. And, and, and in, on the opengov.com website, you can see all the cities who are using it. One of the good things about it is it's a common way across cities to display the same information. Now. I asked Gary to, to go into a lot more detail in how we populated our numbers so there was a lot more granularity in what we can look at. There's some cities that are, you look at their websites, it's all at, at these same charts, and they don't tell you a whole lot. This one is, is really done through Gary's efforts and his staff really very well. And you can look at revenues, expenses, like Gary's saying. You can look at by departments. You can, I mean, you can play around with it all day long, and it's right there. It'll tell you how much of the expenses come from, you know, personnel costs, contractual services, debt service, any of the type of major categories that we have listed. We have thousands, uh, actually, of different account numbers. So you're not going to see by accounts what happened when we sent this information to OpenGov. Um, I had to categorize them somehow. I had to put them into categories. And so all the taxes went into taxes. All personnel-related costs went into personnel. And then these are the type of charts that you get. And you should be able to drill down. Here's a nice, you know, it, it, it just looks different. And it shows you year by year so that you can kind of sort of see what the city has been doing and where we expect to go this year and the effort to try to be more transparent. 
It's uh, it's excellent. Is there uh, any? And did Cedric back there help out on this stuff? No, I really appreciate the presentation. Did Cedric help out on this yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, and then Cedric from this my staff very, decided to come. Very and very good. That's <laughs> a very good Cedric Henry for being I here. Have, I have a quick question. Yes. With our budget process coming up soon, is there a way for you to open up a separate document and show us the numbers um, in and this, the breakdowns? In this format? In this format. <clears throat> so create a, a, a subcategory. I bet Cedric can do it. Yeah, probably. And I mean, then, uh, next year I'm going to supply. Next year, what's going to happen is 2013-14 budget becomes 2013-14 uh, actual. And if I am working on the budget, I can send them preliminary budget numbers, post it, and, and name it preliminary. Well, you know, I think yeah, be, we can. It, it'd we can be do helpful that. for me. I think it'd be helpful for a lot of people rather than seeing just the. Then, in addition to seeing the numbers, mm -hmm. to have a brief presentation that included something like this. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Cedric. Thank you. All right. Any other questions or comments? Uh, I just want to remind everyone that in the last, in the first two months of this year, we have launched our Connect with Calabasas app, mm -hmm. which if you haven't downloaded, you can go right now to your app store and get the Connect with Calabasas app, which will link you into all these things, including what we're looking at right now. Um, we started the robocall. Uh, notification of uh, city meetings and, and hearings and uh, now and we've also launched this OpenGov link uh, for this uh, financial information and data so I, I'm very very proud uh, these things don't happen automatically they take a lot of work from the staff uh, these are new things above and beyond their regular tasks they've done them and uh, uh, I really feel very comfortable in saying that uh, that our city is uh, is making every effort to be as open uh, and transparent and, and available with this kind of data uh, to the public, and, I, and I'm very proud of that. So thank you very much. Really appreciate uh, all, all your work and um, in providing this information. Okay. By the way, the way the, one of the reasons this also is so good is because of the systems that Dr. Lysak has put in place since he's here. Because the funds are so clear, the, the reports that we get, the categories of expenses, revenues are so clear, it's, it makes it uh, easy to transfer to this format in a way that, frankly, is more detailed than what you get with the other cities. I urge you to go look at other cities that have two or three categories of expense, where here you're able to look at a dozen, you know, eight, nine, ten, a dozen categories, and that's because we already had systems in place that make it very easy to do that. And OpenGov told me that as well. <laughs> you know, other cities had really a terrible time submitting their data because it wasn't in any sort of uh, format where it was easy to display. Uh, this one took very little effort at this point because we've been doing it for the last decade. Yep. Thank you very much. All right, we are done with our with item number three. Um, does the council need a break or are we ready to move to item four? Okay. Item four. This is review, uh, discussion, and consideration the introduction of ordinance 2014-312, amending Calabasas Municipal Code Section 1.04.010, changing the date of the general municipal election to the first Tuesday after the first Monday in the 11th month, November, of odd-numbered years. Uh, and uh, we will, this was an item that we discussed very recently. In fact, was it at our last meeting? That Correct. We, yeah. uh, that we had the discussion of voter turnout. And uh, so this was very quick turnaround, uh, which is much appreciated. And um, 
This staff, are we going to have a staff report from uh, the city clerk? Presentation. Very good. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, members of the council, the summary recommendation is that the council review and discuss possible change to the city of Calabasas general municipal election, potentially introduce ordinance 2014-312, amending Calabasas municipal code section 1.04.010, changing the date of the general municipal election to the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November of odd number years. So here's some background. California Elections Code section 1301B1 prescribes that a city council may enact an ordinance requiring its general municipal election to be held on the same day as the school district election which shall become effective upon approval by the Board of Supervisors. Per council direction, staff contacted County of Los Angeles Register of Voters to inquire about impacts on levels of service if the city were to change its election date. The city's, the city, city's intention is to change its election date to the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November of odd, num of odd number years and consolidate with the Las Virginias Unified School District. The city is pursuing consolidation with the district, school district election in an effort to increase voter participation in local elections. Preliminary contact with the school district has been positive and they're very receptive to the idea. The city will continue to conduct its own standalone election. Um, here's some of the impacts. Not consolidating with the school district will create logistical and customer service issues such as concurrent election that can have adverse effects. Polling place confusion if same polling places were used by the city and the county, a need for two tables and separate election boards with voters needing to go through the process twice, Vote by mail voting will be challenging since voters will have to request, receive, and return two separate ballots. The availability of additional voting devices and other hardware might be limited. With the current election cycle, the city of LA consolidates and reimburses the city half the cost of the election. The city will have to bear the total election cost, which is approximately $60,000. Based on the logistical and customer service challenges and the potential impact on available resources, it is recommended that the city consolidate its election with the school district. Um, here's additional information. Um, the Register of Voters cannot accommodate any consolidation of the with the presidential election in November of even number years due to limited capacity on their ballot and voting system. They're working to replace the voting systems in hopes to hopes of expanding the capacity. However, that change may not occur until past 2018. Westlake Village also contracts with Martin Chapman, like we do, and they coordinate with the LA County to get the school district candidate statements and ballot measures for the ballot. Westlake also provides preliminary election results to the school district after ballot counting on election night. They're also included in Westlake's manual tally of one precinct, and Westlake does not invoice the school district for election costs. Westlake's results for the past two election cycles, in 2011, a total of 1,935 ballots were cast for 33% of their 5,790 registered voters. In 2013, it was 1,491 ballots cast, or 24% of their, of their 6,192 registered voters. So if, uh, should the council desire to proceed with introduction and ultimate adoption of ordinance 2014-312, 
It will become officially only after receiving approval from the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. And this will be the process or timeline. March 12th, which is the next council meeting, you would adopt the ordinance. March 25th, approximately, the Board of Supervisors would approve the change. Um, I was informed by the, by the county that they'll probably go on the agenda two weeks after it's received. April 1st, postcards will be mailed to all registered voters informing them of election day change and extension of term limits for all council members. April 23rd, 2015, 2015 approximately, the school board will adopt a resolution and co to consolidate with the city. And November 3rd, 2015, the election will take place. And so again, the recommendation is that the city council review and discuss possible change to the city of Calabasas general municipal election and potentially introduce ordinance 2014-312 amending Calabasas municipal code section 1.04.10 changing the date of the municipal election to the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November of odd number years. That concludes my presentation. Thank you. I had asked the city uh, manager to contact the superintendent of the school district to uh, gauge their um, position on this. Did you, were you able to do that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I talked to uh, Dan Sepanowski, our superintendent, twice. Uh, he, they were very supportive. They'd like to do that. One, it, it, it helps the school district to consolidate with us because they're not running a standalone election like they did the last time and very few people wound up voting. And I think it helps us for the same, for the same reason. Uh, what the only thing here is, is when would they notify and, and pass their resolution on consolidation? And I think we can work that after we pass ours. Thank you. I do have two um, speaker cards on this item, and we'll go to the speakers at this time. Anyone else who'd like to speak on this item, you need to fill out a card that's available on the back um, uh, back uh, table. Uh, first, we'll uh, welcome Stephanie Williams. Welcome. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council and staff. I'm Stephanie Williams. I've been a resident here for, I've lost track now. 15-ish years. Um, as you all know, I am very involved in our elections and it would be wonderful to consolidate these for our voters. Um, your next speaker and I were chatting about how we expected to see many more people here tonight and it brought to mind that that's why we need to move the election. We can't even get our people here to say to move the election. I think if we were in November and we were consolidated, we'd get a much better voter turnout. It would be easier on the people who are involved in getting out the vote to only have to twist arms once a year, um, promise cookies and things for people who would go to the polls. Um, so I, I just really applaud the council for bringing this forward. I also attended the LVUSD meeting last night where members of that Board of Education asked people in the audience to come out to this meeting and express their opinion on this proposal, pro or con, so they definitely wanted to get speakers here and were encouraging the public to comment and participate this way. So um, I'm definitely in favor of the council making this move and I applaud you guys for doing it. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Alicia Weintraub. Commissioner Weintraub. Good evening. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. There was Alicia. a really cute little boy in the acorn this week. Do you know who he is? He's sleeping right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Alicia Weintraub, resident of Calabasas. I lost my train of thought. I'm here tonight um, in support of the council resolution to move the election to November in the odd number years and to consolidate with the school district. I think our community needs to do anything and everything we can do to increase voter participation. There's such apathy in this community to come to the elections, but as we all know, there's not apathy to come out to complain and to discuss issues as, most, as many of us saw last night at the Mulholland Highway meeting. So people are engaged and out there. They're just not coming to the polls. So anything we can do to change, change that I think is so important. I think by consolidating with the school district, we can really work on voter education as a partnership. Also, I think this would put us on the same schedule as some of the other surrounding cities, if I'm not mistaken. And that would also help doing general voter outreach, with it, which I think could only help. So I hope that this moves forward and we can do what we can do to increase voter participation in our community. Thank you very much. Thank you. I have no further cards. Anyone else who's here like to speak on this item? Seeing none, we'll close the public hearing and bring it back to the council for discussion, uh, questions, discussion, and um, action. Uh, who, any members of the council like to speak on this item? I've got several remarks, and I'll go quickly. Councilman Bazajian. Um Starting on page two, um, my understanding in looking at this is that the uh, on the four bullet points that if we consolidated with the school district, the first three bullet points at least would be w would be taken out of, of of being a problem, and so I just wanted to point that out. Um, going on to page three. The uh, charter cities have held their municipal elections in even-numbered years. The five there I want to point out were all very old cities, among the oldest in the county, if not the state, and they have been doing that for many, many years. None of them have recently moved it on to the even-numbered years because it's no longer permitted. Um, you did answer my question. In your, it's not in the report, but it is in your, in your slide presentation that somewhere in April we think maybe the board would discuss it. Is that correct, the supervisors? I bet the board of supervisors will discuss it April of... Uh, no, March. March, March 25th. Okay, March. Okay, and they'll have to do it twice, right? To, they'll just have to adopt it once? Oh, sorry. They'll follow their procedures for introduction and then adoption. Okay, I'd like uh, if and when it does go there, I think the mayor and or representative of the council should be there to answer questions and also to submit a speaker's card to just formally say that our council's presented it. I, I've been to the Board of Supervisors before. I think that goes a long way toward letting them know that we actually care about the issue. It's and it would be important, idea. not just a staff member. Uh, nothing nothing no, bad no, about no, staff. No. It's just I think they like to right. hear from an elected. Um, a question for the city attorney um, is, assuming all of that's done sometime before May, I mean, what is the last date that the Board of Supervisors could act to make it effective for the upcoming election versus just future elections beyond that, just so the public knows? I believe it's a minimum of 120 days before our election. So they do have a significant period of time, okay. a minimum of 120 days before our upcoming election because ours is before the November which would be the 20 November 2015 date well no I'm talking about you mean 120 days before the March date 120 days before our March election yes okay 
and I know they go on a summer vacation, but they ordinarily they meet every Tuesday, so that should should not right. be a they have problem. till November approximately. Okay, next issue, um, you corrected it in the slides, but I'd like for the online version to be corrected as well in the staff report under the Westlake Village statistics on 2011 and 2013. The percentages are inverted. We're transposed. So it should read 33% on 2011 and 24% on 2013. Um, then, uh, uh, going on to the ordinance itself, question for the city attorney. In the ordinance, do we insert language there regarding consolidation with the school board, or is that something entirely separate? That's entirely separate. The school board would submit to us a resolution requesting consolidation. Okay. Um, then uh, I would like, assuming this does pass, uh, the mayor to send a letter uh, to the city of Hidden Hills formally informing them that we are doing this because they will be the last city that has in the school district's cycle that has it in March. And I think it would be nice to have one consolidated election day. I think that helps with turnout everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. So it's nice. To, I think they should know about that. I'm sure they're probably aware of it, but it would be nice to get a letter. Obviously, it's their choice if they want to change it, but I think they should, if they know that everyone else is doing it on that date, they, they might be inclined to do that. And James, is it correct that the water board election is also in November? Um, I believe they're in even years. I think so. I think so. They just had an election. They, they, were, they were grandfathered in on even years. Are you sure? They, they're no, not they on? have one this year. Yeah, in I think November. they're. Yeah, it's an even year. Oh, this year, even year. Okay, so they're on an even year. All right, so they get on the ballot with the, they get on the ballot with the state and federal officers. They've done, because they started that way in yeah. the 50s when okay. they started, I believe. Um, and finally, um, I did take the opportunity to ask all our former city council members who were available to be asked about their feelings, and um, five of them responded to me that they were, in favor of this switch and thought it was a good idea, including some who had served when we used to have it in March of even years uh, and had decided back in the nine, early nine, mid-90s to switch it to um, the current cycle right now. Uh, no one was opposed, but just five got back to me and uh, indicated their support. Okay. Other comments from the council? I, I Councilwoman Maurer. I have one comment. Mari, I'm, I'm, I don't expect, you know, to know the answer to this, but there was something that went terribly wrong the last school board election with the city of Westlake Village. I think it was not getting in their numbers at the, at, until the next morning. Or does anyone know what happened there? I, I, I just I, I do. Uh, okay. the, the, the school board, the school district includes, they had, um, let me get this right, they had three excuse me, they had four different entities, four or three different entities counting their ballots. Four. There, there's a tiny portion that's in the County of Ventura, and it was the County of Ventura, county election officials there counted those ballots. The City of Westlake Village was counting those ballots, and the County of LA was counting ballots from Agoura Hills and from Calabasas. I think only three. Yeah, three, you're, right. you're right, three, sorry. And, uh, no one was totaling the three. That was what the problem was. Um, I honestly think that this, wa that this was a, 
this was something left off the instructions that Don Zimmering left for Dan Stefanowski. Okay. <laughs> he forgot to say, oh, on election night, you got to make sure you total all the numbers. So uh, this, this being Dan's first election, not that he oversees the election, but he didn't make arrangements for that to happen. So, um, uh, so people were looking on websites and seeing the county numbers, but it didn't include the Westlake and the, and the Ventura numbers. And there was nowhere where they were being consolidated. Mm. Uh, and then there was some independent website that attempted to consolidate them and claimed that they were consolidated, but they weren't. So there was a, the Westlake blog said, here's the consolidated number. They were incorrect. So there was a lot of confusion. The other thing that happened is the county of Los Angeles has become very, very it, takes, it takes a very long time to get numbers from the county of Los Angeles. I mean, this is happening in all the elections where um, election, polls close at 8 o'clock and they don't have results coming in until 11, 12 o'clock. And so Westlake was done in an hour like we are. Uh, Ventura was done for, fairly quickly. And the LA County numbers didn't come out till after most normal people would go to sleep. So it was, um, there was just a lot of confusion, but that's what led to the confusion. Thank you very much. Well, what I'd like to know is, and maybe when you come back with this, is a very simple flow chart of what will happen on election night. What happens to our votes? What happens to Westlakes, the school districts? Um, just so we can anticipate what the procedures are. So just real simple, but just, just so we know what will happen, because I was really surprised at that. Nice job, Maury. Any other council comments? Just, I'd like to say I'm very much in favor of this, and, and it's a great idea. Anything we can do to raise voter turnout for both the city, and it certainly would help as well to have the school board, our, our city, be further engaged in that election as well. So, and the report is very clear and makes great sense. And I do understand the, uh, there was an additional memo we received as well up here and I, I appreciate that as well. Thank you. Any further comments or questions on this item? Um, I'm in, uh, in favor of this um, also. Would it help if residents sent in letters to the supervisors letting them know that that's also what they would like to see happen? It, it, it certainly wouldn't hurt. I mean, mm -hmm. they can certainly uh, free to do that. And I think uh, the mayor was talking about uh, giving Zev a call b beforehand and just telling him that this is what we're up to and just making sure we have his support. And I think that's a great idea. And then Councilmember Zajin seeing him, but actually speaking there will also be a good mm -hmm. idea. So, yeah. okay. and, and like Mari said, I mean, there is a provision in the law to allow just this kind of consolidation because the purpose is going to be to consolidate with the school district. Mm -hmm. Any other comments? All right, I also am supportive of this item. Look, this came out of um, how do we increase voter participation uh, in our community. What this will do, what this actually pretty much will guarantee will happen is the Calabasas turnout for the school board election will double. Okay, that is almost guaranteed. We, and this is why, we have a, we currently have a city election in March where we now know that we get in the 20, 25% turnout. That's been the case for the last half dozen or more city elections. Even if that doesn't improve and we move it to November, that's a 20, 25% turnout in November where right now 10%. the school district is on by itself and they're getting nine or 10%. So, uh, 
uh, you're, you're, I don't know what else we could do that guarantees we're going to double the turnout for a local election, but this will pretty much guarantee that we'll do that. Will it up the 20 or 25 percent that we normally get? I don't know. That's what Agura and Westlake are now getting in that for that November election, but it should maybe a little bit people who are school board voters, people because there's lots of elections. So there's a chance that our 24-25 goes up a little bit, but it guarantees that we have more participation in the school board election. So I think that alone is, uh, is, is a reason to do it. Um, I, th I think that it, it's nice for it to be consistent that all the cities in our corridor are at the same time. Maybe that will generate a little more election fever, a little more uh, understanding that this is the election day for the whole uh, for the whole uh, local area. Um, it also uh, will save the school district a lot of money. The school district now has to pay to do a standalone election in Calabasas in November of that year. They pay the full, they pay the county approximately fifty, sixty thousand dollars to run an election. Um, they will, and we're not deciding tonight what financial arrangement we're making with the school district. Westlake pays for the whole election, doesn't charge them. But even if we, even if we went half seas with them, they're going to save $30,000. Um, and, uh, and if we decide we're not going to charge them at all, they're going to save fifty or $60,000. We well, that discussion <laughs> we'll have it another day when, we, when they vote to, you know, to consolidate. Um, now, the, downs, the, only, the only downside is, is um, we now get reimbursed half by the community college, by the city of LA that runs the community college district election. We, we will be leaving the community college election as an orphan in, in the March of that odd year. Um, but given the choice between uh, being with the community college board where we represent you know, less than 1% of the population of that district, um, maybe not of the district, maybe not less than 1%, because uh, it is by district. It's not a whole community college-wide. But it, we're a very small percentage of the, of the district that that candidate runs in, as opposed to being able to join with the school board, which I think our residents would find to be a much more relevant, important election to local voters. I, I don't think that that's much of a, of a downside. Um, so I, I think this is a, uh, a very positive step uh, that will uh, almost certainly improve turnout for, uh, for at least the school board election and, and for our election as well. And, uh, and I think that we should um, move forward. So I urge uh, an I vote. I move that we approve that. I'll second. It's been moved and seconded. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? And that motion carries. The, we, have to, we have to bring it back for a second reading. Even yes, the ordinance. A, even on a unanimous vote? <laughs> yes, the ordinance has been introduced. It'll be back uh, to your next meeting for adoption. Is there any, it, there, we have no provision whatsoever for moving something more urgently? There is a provision under state law for a four-fifths vote for an urgency, for urgency ordinance. However, you still have to allow five days to elapse between the date of introduction and the date of adoption. The only time you can introduce and adopt the ordinance on the same day is if there's an actual emergency. Okay. So it you're saying there would back. have to be five days and Minimum have to five days again. for an urgency ordinance. This was not crafted as an urgency ordinance. Right. So okay. it, it will be back All right. the next I was time. just seeing if we couldn't move it up Got so it. that we had more time. Uh, but uh, if it needs to come back for the second reading on the March 12th, then it does. So we'll do that. Okay. All right. We are pretty close to the end of the agenda, I believe. Let me get back to the agenda. Uh, of course, the check register. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Open, open gov at its best. And I noticed that the city man, that Patty got a $34 refund. Yes, she did. And, uh, she, she missed, she she missed a class with the savvy seniors. Okay. <laughs> All right. So just to let you know that I'm looking at the check register. <laughs> Anybody have any questions or comments regarding the check register? All right. Seeing none, task force reports. Any task force reports? Yes. Councilwoman Martin. Um, I have one from uh, the COG. Uh, the, um, the master plan consultants, Alta Planning, um, was hired uh, to, uh, to do the master plan. Uh, the COG received a grant for 185000 for the bicycle, bicycle plan. Uh, stormwater drain, the Board of Supervisors did not move forward. Um, so the uh, city managers led by Kef Farsing um, convened to take another look and the report is about 95% complete and um, should be ready to circulate in April or May. Uh, the Measure R funding, um, all of the projects were approved um, next month. Uh, um, we'll approve the, uh, the park and ride that the city is looking into. Um, the MTA board approved 500000 in funding to develop a mobi mobility uh, matrix to address sub-regional mobility infrastructure. Uh, the COG heard the presentation on the dangers of rodenticides. Um, each city is uh, looking into um, us and uh, Malibu and uh, Agora have already passed resolutions. Um, the other cities are going to look into that as well. And we received a presentation um, from the Water District on the drought. Thank you very much. Any other task force reports? I provided a brief one on the Santa Monica Mountain Conservancy and the, the, the key um, act activity was the approval of the funds for the wildlife corridor. Thank you very much. Any, anything else? All right, we move to the city manager's report. Uh, we had a nice, uh, well, I had a nice meeting with Jeff and Bridget from the chamber on the pumpkin festival. And uh, we're looking at doing some, some different things. One, perhaps in the food, uh, bringing in some local restaurants to do food uh, on a limited menu. Uh, a pie baking contest, perhaps, where we, where we have folks submit their pies and, and do pumpkin pie tasting and a panel and, and, and give some awards. And uh, modifying some things that are taught a lot. And, and one of them might be to bring a pony ride uh, company that can give the kids pony rides up and down the trail in the back. So just something to, to give a little bit more than what we've been currently doing there. That, that, that's all. Yes, I, I, ha I had suggested more pumpkin at the pumpkin more festival. More pumpkin, yeah. They're, they're and uh, I actually thought maybe the savvy seniors might get excited to do a bake, like a, you know, some kind of bake contest. And that pie right, right, could be right. pumpkin bread, pumpkin cake, maybe not only seniors, but others. I although, bake. Although you, I, you, you're, you're um, you're a savvy senior under our uh, yeah. code here. Um, I mean, you don't look like one. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway. but, but if there's some ideas, uh, now's the time, and then we'll talk to them and, and, uh, and, and see if we can do just but something different uh, right. with, with a festival. Shake it up a little bit a little and bit. Uh, try to make it a little more local, a little more uh, participatory, and, um, and more pumpkin. More pumpkin. All right, so uh, thank I, and I appreciate the same manager following up on that. Jeff's been very, very receptive, and, and I know the, uh, the chamber also as well. Okay, uh, any questions for the city manager or on the same manager's report? Future agenda items, you'll see uh, the items that we have for the next agenda, which are 
looks like a, a good set of items unless anybody has a problem with it. And then uh, I'm proud that we've shrunken our list of uh, future items, although there's still some important ones on there. I, I have a quick question um, for Mr. Corrales. So I was not able to attend the Mulholland Highway workshop uh, for very long, and I didn't have an opportunity to see any of the drawings. Will it be coming to the council? Will there oh, be another the, yeah, public walk workshop? Absolutely. The, the, next, the next steps on the Mulholland thing is to take the comments that Robert's uh, gotten. And, if, and if, if any of you receive comments, please forward them. Uh, we'll then digest them. We'll then put it to the Traffic and Transportation Commission with the changes, and then it'll come to council for, for, for approval. So there's, there's at least two more opportunities to are to the drawings up on the website uh, I, I will check I, okay. I, I don't I think know. that they, would they be helpful be under with a they should be under, a, under the project but I haven't I believe checked. they are if there's a project page right. for that project and you can see uh, uh, the plans on that page it's a, they would be difficult because there's like yeah. six different you know renderings for Mulholland right. and about the same for for Las Virginas, but no, I'm, we'll make sure that if does it uh, make sense to put them up in the library or in the in for I mean, uh, there was can, such a, a large turnout. I don't know if I, uh, if other people had me, a difficult let me, let me, time. Let me see if we can put them, maybe we can put them here in the lobby, I mean, in, or, or wherever, or the library. I mean, either yeah. place. I mean, it's not a big deal. Okay. Yeah. I'd be great, because I think that um, it, it was really quite a full house, and other people might enjoy having a, that opportunity. I do want you to know that uh, I think I mentioned Councilman Martin and I stayed till the very last person left and collected cards with comments and, and uh, uh, gave out the phone number, the email. Anyone who does have a question, wants to be, uh, see the plans, have one of our staff people walk them through the plans, for, uh, that is all available. Just uh, for, both, for, both for both areas, call, uh, call City Hall, 818-224-1600. We have a live person answers the phone. Uh, during business hours, and we'll put you in chart in touch with people, and and make an arrangement for you to come down, and uh, you know, even on a personal basis, let alone for any group or. Uh, and as a as a comeback, I think what we got from from Mulholland, the the major comments are all pretty much doable. I mean, and I think yeah. and I think we'll have solutions to the entry and exits, to the smart crosswalk, to those yeah. kind of things that came out. So, I, and and anything else that folks can think of. Can't put a traffic signal because it isn't warranted. <laughs> but anything else we can we can work with. There were some very good suggestions from the public that uh, uh, Mr. Yalda indicated to me today is going to try to work into the final plans. So that's very good news. Um, on future agenda items, anyone else with future agenda items? Um, I would like uh, to have uh, come to us an amendment to our uh, uh, anti-smoking ordinance to include e-cigarettes. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what that what we need to do in order to do that. Um, I've been following the information on this. Certainly, a number of jurisdictions are moving in that direction. I think there is enough evidence of potential harm to add e-cigarettes to our. And, and I think that the will of the people of the city would be to include 
uh, e-cigarettes in, in our ordinance. So I don't know technically what we need to do to do that, but I'd like that to come back to the council as soon as possible. The majority of the council indicate that you'd like to see that come back before you. I think your policy is it's uh, two council members, any two council members can request to have something on the agenda. I think the mayor can do it himself, but, yeah. or two council That's members. Now, now is your intention? But I, don't, I think I'll have joiners. So, so, but, but, but just a, a technical thing. Uh, there's no secondhand smoke, and we got a secondhand smoke ordinance. Correct. So it, it, it will probably have to be crafted in some other way. Currently, the well, ordinance. The, the ordinance yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the ordinance right now defines smoke as a burning of a leafy substance, right. and that's why right. e-cigarettes sort of slips through the cracks. And the way I'm understanding is you'd like an ordinance to close that gap mm -hmm. and Correct. include e-cigarettes in our secondhand smoke ordinance. Correct. And that's why I said I don't yes. know technically what amendments we'll need, but, um, but I'm sure that that can be done. And, and like it, I said, it can be at done this rapidly. point, there are other jurisdictions that yes. either have done it or are in the process of doing it, so it should not be uh, too difficult to, uh, to see how they're doing that. It, right. it will not be. Okay. So, um, you know, as, as, uh, as soon as possible, I'd like to see that. All right. Any, uh, any other comments on, on uh, future agenda items? Uh, okay. Then I believe. This could be your shortest meeting. No, we have a. We, uh, we are adjourning tonight in memory of Phyllis Power, and uh, James was going to. Uh, I have a very brief summary. Uh, Phyllis Wood Jones Power. Um, born September 30th, 1933, passed away on January 1st, 2014. Loving mother and grandmother, devoted friend and former director of the Leona Stobe Museum, died peacefully surrounded by her family on January 1st. Phyllis will be remembered as a smartly creative and stylish woman engaged in her community and devoted to raising her children. Born to Estelle Power and Commander Kent Power, U.S. Navy retired in Bremerton, Washington. She was the second of four children. Phyllis leaves her brothers Paul, and Kent and sisters, sister Lucinda. Phyllis was a loving mother of five children, Drew, Winona, Matthew, Helen, and Brenda, and 11 grandchildren. She graduated from Convent of the Sacred Heart High School in San Francisco and attended Santa Monica City College. In 1952, she married John Jones. Phyllis and John settled in the San Fernando Valley where she actively engaged in her many interests and creative talents. She participated in organized fundraising events for children, the arts, Catholic schools, and the Leonis Adobe. Her fascination with textiles led to her career as a couture seamstress and owner of a decorative pillow and, and blanket manufacturing business. Her twin passions for community service and historical preservation were united in her dedication to the Leonis Adobe Museum. Her work over many years helped to preserve and restructure the Adobe as a public historic site. As the first director of the Leonis Adobe Museum, she was most proud of, of the living history program designed to educate school children about life on a working family ranchero in the mid-19th century. Family and friends are invited to a memorial service on March 16th at 10.30 a.m. at the Leonis Adobe Museum on Calabasas Road. Um, one couple other notes, she, she was for many years the co-manager of the um, Calabasas Farmers Market. Many people will remember her being there every week, standing out there, sitting out there, um, greeting people. She also was active in the Calabasas Historical Society and received its Living History Award, uh, which is its highest honor for her uh, contributions to the community. And we, she lived here in Calabasas off and on during her life, and she will certainly be uh, missed by all of us. We are forever grateful for her great work for our beloved Leona Sadobi and uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to her family and to everyone involved in, uh, in the museum that worked with her and, and knew her well. With that, we will adjourn. <laughs>